Wow, that was a setup for me, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm Jared, and if we haven't met before, uh, it's my pleasure to uh, welcome you today and to tell you how much I'm thrilled that you're participating today as we launch this uh, new series called The Adventure, and uh, we're going to see if we can find some hope today. You know, life can be tough, can't it? When I was five years old, the first Christmas following my hero, 12-year-old brother's death, it was a lonely time. As the old uh, Christmas poem goes, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house." Well, it was, it was quiet at our house. It was just mom, dad, and me. And at five, the night before Christmas, I'm laying in front of the tree. I remember I was feeling all the gifts to try to figure out what those presents were. Five years old, I don't know what I felt, but I know that I felt kind of empty and lonely, and it was too quiet. I had lost. The single mom has given the kids their baths and put them to bed long ago. She's looking at the stack of bills, the bank account balance, too much of the first, not a much of the second. She's already talked to friends and family. She's called in all of her favors. She's staring out the dark window of the small apartment, wondering how she's going to make it. Then there's the, the lonely man. He's standing in the ICU room. He's looking at the love of his life. He can't imagine a day without her. They married so young. He strokes her white hair. There's no response. The doctor has told him to say goodbye. Where's, where's hope when you've lost all hope? Well, there's the businesswoman. She's sitting behind her desk at the office. She has a strong handshake, a confident voice, but don't let her demeanor fool you. Her banker's calling for a meeting. Her bookkeeper wants to quit. She hasn't felt hope in weeks. We've all been there, haven't we? When it feels like hope is lost. We're just out of hope. Could you use some unshakable hope today? Well, if so, you join a lot of other people. In fact, it's almost a paradox that in our culture, which is more generally prosperous than any other society that has ever lived, that the suicide rate has increased 24% since the year 2000. And while there are many factors for that, among the answers to the question of how could that be, an issue that if it were an illness would be considered an outrageous public, what do you call that? That's the word I'm looking for right there, epidemic. When we look for answers for that, among those must include some of us have just lost hope. And so as we launch this Advent season and we look for hope today, we want to we find how it is that we can thrive in hope, not die without hope. But you know, the English language kind of fails us here because we use this one word, hope, for a whole variety of different definitions, don't we? In fact, notice here with me, we use hope to talk about wishful hope. I hope so, it sounds like. I hope that she's potty trained by the time she's 12 months old. Yeah, this is wishful hope. 
those of you that are my age. I hope that as I age, I'll look younger and younger. Yeah, yeah, wishful hope. It's kind of fun to have, but it's rather frothy. It doesn't last very long. And then there's expectant hope. Now, this sounds much better. I'm confident about this. We'd better keep that coffee date this week because it's on my calendar. Now, notice that both of these have emotion with them. I sure hope that works out. I know that this is going to happen. But I want you to notice that the biblical hope we're talking about today, certain hope, does not necessarily have any particular emotion attached to it. There may be none at all. Certain hope is God said it, so I believe it. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, in a moment we're going to see some slides that come out of that passage and others, but it's our key passage today. And if you have a device or a Bible and you care to turn there, Ephesians chapter 6, but here's verse 19. Let me give it to you in a paraphrase. The certain hope of being saved is strong and trustworthy. It's an anchor for our souls. So, real hope is based on God's word, not my wishes or not my preferences. Now, before I show the text on slides, I'm, I want to read it so you can just listen with me because it's going to get to the thesis statement which says, this is what real hope is. But the paragraph is describing how real hope happens. And I want you to notice two words. These two words pop up eight times in this brief paragraph. They are the words promise and oath. Here I read from Hebrews 6, uh, 13. God made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham waited patiently for it to happen, so he received what God promised. Now, people always use the name of someone greater than themselves when they make an oath, and God wanted to prove his promise was true to those who'd get what he promised, and he wanted them to understand that his purpose never changes, so God made an oath. Now, there are two things that are unchangeable. First, God can't lie when he makes a promise. And second, he can't lie when he makes an oath. These things encourage us. So they give us strength to hold on to hope that we've been given. Here it is. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. It is sure, and it's, read it with me, it is strong. People of God's promises have a strong hope. I always love to go back in the Bible to the first time that someone is presented to us in one of these, these great stories that is like the first big illustration of uh, an eternal principle that God gives us throughout Scripture. And in this case, it's the guy named Abraham that's referenced here in the book of Hebrews. And in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 20, Paul is using him again, and he calls him the father of the faithful. So let's race back a couple thousand years in time to this man called Abraham, and this is what it says about him in Romans 4.20. It says in the message, Abraham didn't tiptoe around God's promise asking cautiously skeptical questions. No. Oh, he plunged into the promise and came up strong. I love that image. Now notice that Abraham took the plunge before he was what? Strong. Notice the sequence. 
He took the plunge before he was strong. Let's infer from that. Abraham didn't have strong hope before he took the plunge. He took the plunge of faith into what he knew he could be strongly hopeful in, the promise of God. If you feel like your hope, your confidence, your expectation of the future is pretty weak today, join Abraham, the father of the faithful, and join him in finding what God has said about your situation and take the plunge into that. And like him, you'll come up strong. Some of you know what that feels like. Our friend Suzanne from Bend made a post just before Thanksgiving this week that Ann and I read. I want to share it with you. But first, the backstory: She and Steve lost their 21-year-old son a couple of years ago at an auto accident while he was on his way to work. This is what Suzanne wrote as she was anticipating Thanksgiving as a family without him. As we enter this beautiful, hope-filled season, hold your little ones close. Hold your big ones close. Hold all those you love close. And for those of us who have someone missing from the table, hold on to hope. You are loved. You are not alone. And there are good things ahead for you. The holidays are painfully beautiful for many of us. A time to be present with those still with us and to be grateful for every past, present, and future minute of life. It's a season to remember well and to believe for more. We can do this. We have hope. Yeah. She took the plunge and she came up strong. When we need hope, we can return to this great promise. Notice it with me again. Hebrews chapter 16, verses 19 and 20 say, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary beyond, behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. I want you to look at the first two primary words in the first phrase there. Let's unpack them for just a minute. The words anchor and soul. You know what an anchor is. Uh, perhaps you've been in a boat, you've thrown an anchor in, you have felt it as it hits the bottom, you've experienced the tug as it latched onto something there, gave you some firmness and security. To weather a blast of bad weather, you need an anchor. So why do you need an anchor? Well, the text tells us it's because you have a soul. You see, when God breathed into Adam, he didn't just give him a puff of oxygen. He gave him eternal life. He gave him a soul. Your soul is why you ask the question, why am I here? Where am I going? Because you have a soul, you wrestle with what's right and what's wrong. Because you have a soul, you value the lives of others. When you see a baby that's just been born, you tear up. You have a soul. And your soul needs an anchor. 
This anchor is not set in a boat or in possessions or in accomplishment or in achievement or in a bank account. Your anchor is set in, quote, the inner sanctuary where Jesus has entered on our behalf. With a rope that will never snap, it will never break free, the anchor is set in the promises of God. This week I had a conversation which was not an unusual phone call for Ann and me to have with a pastoring couple. Usually as many as two or three or four times a week we have this kind of conversation. When a denominational leader that I don't know sets us up with a phone call with a pastor we've never met, I assume we're being set up. And I was asked to administer uh, an emotional uh, quotient inventory, an EQI, uh, an assessment. And, and I talked with the, the guy on the phone, and he and his wife were excited about doing it. I got a little bit of context, and I discovered that it, under his leadership, that, that institutionally, the church has experienced really dramatic and unusual uh, success. Uh, Out-of-state, uh, mid-sized city, started a church less than 10 years ago, averages over 500 people now, well-known in the community, highly respected, loved and appreciated. Why am I having a conversation with them? I get the results, and it appears from that little profile that life is probably working pretty well for her. I know that life is intense. They have four kids. Two of them are special needs, both requiring a great deal of attention but life seems to be working pretty well for her. I look at his profile, and it is astounding. I say to them on the phone, I don't know you. We've never met. This may be the only hour we ever have a conversation. I may be completely off base. Just tell me to jump, jump in a lake if so. But when I look at this little two-dimensional profile, it makes me wonder, and I called him by name. Let's, let's call him Juan. It makes me wonder, Juan, if when you get up every morning, it takes every bit of Holy Spirit power and every ounce of Christ-like character and every grain of grit you muster to be able to drag yourself into and through your day. And I could sense the tears welling up for both of them that I then heard in their voice as they responded. I so much at the end of that conversation wanted to give them wishful hope. I wanted to pump them up with froth. You can do that, can't you? Now, now, it's going to be okay. We all go through tough times. Just love Jesus, and it's going to get better. This is the worst day of your life, so the good news is that every other day is going to be better than this. That's wishful hope, isn't it? That's just a frothy dream. Who knows what tomorrow might be? I wanted to give them confident hope. I wanted to say, I'm old. I've been around. I've had scores of these conversations. And let me tell you, statistically, most of them turn out well enough. It's very likely that things are going to be okay for you. I wanted to give them confident hope. 
But I knew that the only thing of substance I had to give to them was certain hope. What has God said about their situation? And as we move toward the end of the call, I did say before we end, I want to talk with you about next good steps. And I think you're going to want to choose what your right next best step is because there's certainly some steps for you to take forward right away this week, this week. But I said, I want to leave you with these words. And these are words of truth from Jesus, that you are not alone. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. That's certain hope. And some of you today are encountering a situation that is desperate, and life might look to others fine because of how you can project and how you can mask yourself. But inwardly, you know that there is a place that is desperately damaged or in pain. And the word that you need to hear today is not someone pumping you up with frothy joy, not someone saying, based upon my experience, but somebody saying, let me remind you of what Jesus promised. I'll never leave you. I'll be with you. I so wish I could have just reached into their life and taken some of their pain. I wish I could have answered her questions. Do we have to move from here? Does he have to quit to recover? How are we going to have income? I don't know the answers to those questions. But I have certain hope that I can share with them. You're with Jesus. And what I know is he is going with you through every moment of this struggle, certain, certain hope. You know, a student uh, decided that he wanted to do a project. I assume he was in seminary, and apparently he had too much time on his hands. But It took him a year and a half. He decided he wanted to count all the promises he could find in the Bible. He came up with a number. Are you ready for this one? 7,487 promises. Now, I don't recommend that you try to replicate his his experiment or study. You might come up with a little bit different number. And also, I want to suggest to you that not all 7,400 of those are necessarily meant today for you. You understand that, yeah. But, you know, one way to view the Bible is that it actually is a collection of stories of people's interactions with God and God's interactions with people that are filled with literally thousands of promises that God made. This is a book of God saying, this is who I am, and this is what I will do on your behalf. And you notice from our primary text today that the big deal was made around the word promise and oath, and it said there's really only two things you can count on. God cannot not keep a promise, and God cannot not keep an oath. In other words, if you tie into God's promise for you, God simply has restricted himself to being unable to not keeping that. A snake can't walk. A monkey can't fly. God cannot break a promise. And that gives us certain hope. And that's why hope-filled people filter their life through the lens of the promises of God. When problems surface, you can hear them saying to themselves, God said something about this. 
when struggles threaten, they can be flipping, seen flipping through Scripture, saying, I know God said something about this. When they're trying to comfort a friend going through a tough time, they tend to say, do you know what God has promised about your situation? This week, Anne and I were reminded of what it means to have certain hope. We've been grieving the loss with long-term friends. They live here in the greater Portland area, a young family. They have had four children. And this week, their three-year-old son died, got an infection and died within hours. Now, the quadruple tragedy is that five years ago, his four-year-old sister had an identical death. Apparently, there's a genetic tendency, and this particular infection brings on the end of life within a few hours. We cannot imagine entering into the horrific tragedy and grief of those parents and that extended family. I have never lost a child. Some of you know what that loss and grief is. But I was reminded this week of at Christmas many years ago when it was the quiet one in our house where I was missing my brother Jim. And it reminded me of what happened in our home that evening when my parents came back in the middle of the night to tell us that as they took Jim to the hospital that he had passed away on the way there. Uh, I remember sitting on the couch with uh, my older sister and I was holding uh, this softball, it's Jim's softball, has his name on it here, and I was holding it. We had just been playing catch in the driveway a few hours before, uh, the day before. As I was holding the ball, I was looking at my parents, and they were sitting in the living room as well, in the places where, the chairs where they usually conducted their devotional time in the morning, and my dad had this Bible. Um, you probably heard my stories about my dad. I called him frugal. Some people called him cheap. Uh, this Bible, uh, he finally had taped together with black electrician's tape. I don't know if you can see that. And uh, finally, my mom, uh, you know, out of mercy for the well-being and the image of the family, got him a new one, uh, which he later wore out as well. But this is the one he was using that night. And um, I, I saw him leafing through the Bible, as my mom was as well. They, they occasionally would signal the other, and they would point to each other a promise that they had found. I wish like heck they had written those down, don't you? I'd love to read those for you today. Instead, they just left me with a Bible with, you know, 7,487 options to go find out and figure what God had said. But, but isn't that what we all need? We need God's Word, and we need the guidance and the immediacy of His Spirit to say, this is the promise for you today. I shared that story one time about my parents' response and my discovering that people of the promise, when tragedy bites them, when uncertainty challenges them, that they are people of God's promises and find out what God has said. And then with Abraham, the father of the faithful, they take the plunge into the promise and they come out of that strong. I shared that story one time and there was a guy who came up later. I knew that he was getting his doctorate in psychology and he, he looked at me and he had a very, very solemn kind of empathic demeanor and he said, Jared, I really think that you should seek some counseling. 
And I said, you're absolutely right. But why do you think I need counseling? <laughs> you know, it's like, I already know that, but what have I done to you that makes you think I should have counseling? And he said, well, you shared this story. And he says, I think that you really experienced some separation from your parents and that they should, you felt that they should have been over accompanying you, comforting you on the couch instead of separating over there and reading their Bibles. And I wanted to say to him, you know, keep working on the doctorate, big boy, because right now I think you're full of something other than wisdom for me right here. Yeah. And who knows, maybe someday I'll unpack this with therapy. But I will tell you this, that in times of challenge now in life for me, and really isn't it true, every week, the multiple times we hear of the tragic experience in the lives of our friends and family and circle of influence and now because of media, the instantaneous awareness that we have of tragedies around the world, where do you plunge? Where do you plunge without becoming cynical and calloused and hard and hopeless? You plunge into the promises of God. What has God said? The Bible is a story of God speaking. The very first chapter, nine times, it doesn't say nine times, there's not that many days, six times in the first chapter, it says, God said, and every time something wonderful happened. That sets you up for the entire book. Hope-filled people know that God has a promise for the situation. So Hebrews 6, 19, here it is, once again. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and, say it with me, secure. So here's the point. Here's the bottom line. Here's the thesis today. Because no one can take your Jesus, no one can take your hope. Let me illustrate by asking and answering nine common questions You'll find your own story in some of these. I'm going to ask the question, and then I'm going to answer it with a quote right out of the Bible. Here we go. Do bullies and critics define your identity? No. <laughs> because God said, let us make human beings in our image, and that includes you. Can challenges deplete your strength? No. Because we are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ in God. In other words, you have access to the family fortune. Are you a victim of circumstances? Not in the least. When a believing person prays, great things happen, James says. Does God have a place for small people in his world? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the who? The humble. Can anyone understand what it really means to lead your life? Jesus can. Our high priest is able to understand our weaknesses. Do you feel alone with your problems? You aren't. Jesus right now is at the right hand of God interceding for you. Can God forgive your failures? He already has. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Will sorrow ever end? This is God's assurance. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Have you, will you have wisdom and, and energy for the remainder of your life? Well, the bad news is probably not. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit does, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment, they cannot take away your hope because they cannot take away your Jesus or his promises. You may feel like the sailor in this story. An S-4 submarine sank off the coast of Maine, and they were uh, deep-sea divers were attempting to rescue. It went hour after hour, and finally toward the end of that prolonged and eventually successful rescue, one of the divers heard some tamping on the steel from the sub. He went over toward the source of the sound, put his ear next to the vessel, and he heard the Morse code message, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Some of you may be asking that question. Some of you have lost a loved one. Some of you may be like the single mom without resources, the grieving husband who's lost his love, the businesswoman out of answers. What can you build your life on? The promises of God. Here it is. Jesus' word to us in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He says, this is what you can always do. Always pray and never lose what? Hope. Notice the sequence. Two things to do. Always we first pray, and therefore we don't lose hope. I love the paraphrase. We're going to read from Hebrews 6, verses 18 and 19, one last time. This comes out of the message version. It says this. So grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. Ask yourself this question. Is what I'm hooked on stronger than what I'll go through? If you make the decision to plunge into God's promises, your answer will always be yes. We're going to receive communion in just a few minutes. Like ushers now are going to begin to prepare the trays. If you're a guest with us today, especially, I want to tell you how we're going to do this as I invite you to participate, because uh, everybody that's here today is welcome to join us in this. If it's the first time that you've received communion or the first time that you've done it in this way, this can be very meaningful for you. This really is an experience designed for you to have with God. You receive some flashlights on your way in. If you haven't activated the batteries, you have to pull out a little thing. I encourage you not to activate the batteries because it'll be very distracting if you put yours on, but mine is on. You're going to get to have an adventure this week with some friends or some family with the light, but you know that light and hope in the Bible are very closely associated. In fact, the Bible is a story of light. The very first thing God said was, let there be light, and there was light. 
The Christmas story is filled with the images of light. The angels put on a light show to accompany their song of there is a new child born in Bethlehem. The shepherds saw a star that they followed moving from the east to the west. Jesus stood and said, I am the light of the world. And the image of the light is that it bursts into darkness and it drives it back and makes a difference. The truth of the matter is that 2019 has included for all of us some points of darkness. And the truth is for all of us We need to have some fresh, hope-filled light shine our way. We're going to sing a song in a moment as we receive communion. And as we do, we're going to be singing the gospel story that God came in the person of Jesus and he lived on earth and he died and he buried and he rose. And we, our life now is to parallel in his power and grace that cycle of living and dying to sin, and experiencing forgiveness in resurrection, eternal life. And communion says, Jesus, I remember that you did that for me. As the trays are passed in a moment, and you reach and receive one of the crackers, that gluten-free little cracker that, that symbolizes the broken body of Jesus, as you take the cup of juice symbolizing the shed blood of Jesus, you're saying, there's hope in this for me. This is the gospel of Christ. Because of his brokenness, I am eternally whole. Because of his life given for me, I am forgiven and have eternal life. As we sing the gospel together, Lord, we receive your body. We receive your blood. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your life. We receive your light in the place of our darkness. We receive your comfort where there is pain. And we receive eternal life where there was none. We are people of hope. We receive.